Today. Uh, welcome back. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4, and uh, this is a passage that Gav's going to be preaching on. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through to 11, and you can find it on page 967 of the Church Bibles. Uh, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, uh, and they will lift you up uh, in their hands, so that he will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And uh, this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Please keep your Bibles open in Matthew chapter 4. We're just going to be looking at those first few verses. If you've got questions about the rest, uh, feel free to pop me an email through the week or give me a call. We can chat about the Bible together. That'd be fun. I'd enjoy that. Um, I'll pray and then we'll have a look at what's going on here in Matthew chapter 4. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for countless reasons that we can't even fathom. Uh, Today, Lord, we thank you that Jesus succeeded where we failed, uh, that he stood up to the test, to the temptation of Satan. Help us to understand, Lord, um, through this passage, your great love for us and the trustworthiness of your word. Lord, help us to um, stand firm in our relationship with you. When we're tempted. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're thinking about temptation. We're also, you'll see in your handout, in your handout's got an outline of the sermon, we're also thinking about trust and how these two things go hand in hand, uh, temptation and trust. Now, I wonder if any of you have seen the marshmallow experiment that was conducted on kids. It was several years ago. Has anyone seen the marshmallow experiment? Yeah, heard of it. Teachers in particular, I think, uh, know it. If you want to search it up uh, later on YouTube, it's really cute. Uh, it's also a bit long, and I can explain to you what happens in the video in less than a quarter of the time of the video. So I'm just going to do that without uh, showing it to you. Basically, one at a time, um, children, one or two at a time, one or two at a time, children are put in a room, uh, sat at a desk, and they're given a big marshmallow, one of those big ones, not the little Pascal ones, a big one, um, on a plate. And the lady says to them, um, here's a marshmallow, you can eat it if you want, but... I'm going to go, and if you wait till I come back and you haven't eaten it, haven't touched it, I'll give you another one. Okay, so that's the, that's the experiment. Will they cave and eat the marshmallow straight away, or will they be able to resist uh, and score a second marshmallow, which they don't get, obviously, if they've eaten it when she comes back? The kids are forced to balance instant gratification with goodness that's promised at the end if they can patiently wait. You can see where I'm going here, right? But underlying the idea is trust. They've got to trust the lady's going to come back. 
They've got to trust that she's going to come back with the goods, with the second marshmallow, right? So there's this underlying current of trust as well. And if you watch the video, it's really funny and really cute. The kids, there's, you can see this kid, there's the agony, you see the, sink, the middle box, the agony on his face, like he just wants so bad to wait, but it's just so hard. And the kids, including him, pick it up and they sniff it and they lick it. And one girl thinks she can break little pieces off and eat it and the lady won't notice when she gets back. And it's just so funny. And there's one girl who's self-aware, and before the lady takes two steps, she just smashes it, like it's boom. It's in there, holus bolus, I'm not going to wait, and I know it, I'm just going to eat it now, bang. Um, It's hilarious, it's really cute, it's really funny. Instant gratification versus trust that there's something better if you wait. There's a similar kind of tension for Christians, isn't there? Instant gratification versus something better if you wait. The difference between simple belief in God and active trust in God. It can be easy to assent to the truth that you believe in God with words, but when the marshmallow's on the plate in front of you, that's when the real test comes. Do you really trust God at his word that something is better waiting for you in the end and you don't need what's on the plate before you right now? We think that the prize at the end isn't worthwhile. So we grasp at instant gratification now, often. We struggle to trust that God will provide and it'll be good. In fact, it'll be amazing if we just wait. We go for the quick satisfaction. We go for the better job for more money, for more security. At the expense of time with family or time to volunteer at church. We grab at material things for comfort rather than prayer for contentment with what we have. We might diet and train so we'll look good and then feel good about ourselves because we look good rather than finding our self-worth in how God values us. God values you so highly he sent his one and only son to die on the cross to save you for himself. That's what God thinks about you. In our weakest moments, we might even grab at alcohol Drugs, gambling, immoral sex, pornography for instant gratification rather than trusting God at his word that we need to avoid those things at all costs and wait for the goodness that comes at the end. Do we trust God when actually he says, I've got a better offer for you than what's before you right now? Now straight away you can see the illustration is flawed, isn't it? Some of the things that I listed can be good things. Marshmallows are good. A promotion's good. A new phone or car is good. A holiday is good. A diet is good. Exercise is good. All good things. But are we grabbing at those things to satisfy ourselves? Do we take matters into our own hands rather than patiently trusting and waiting upon the Lord? That's what we need to think about. Do we as followers of Jesus shape our lives according to what God has planned for us or based on what is dangled in front of us by the pagan culture around us? Here's a harder question. Are you, am I, prepared to trust God and obey God when things are tough, when we're tired, when we're sick, when we're in mourning or grief? When we're in despair, are we going to trust God then? So, 
Where are we in Matthew? Well, last week was the baptism of Jesus, this triumphant moment in the Gospel of Matthew. The heaven opens up, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. God's word thunders from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. You should listen to him. Witnesses must have been thinking, is this the moment prophesied by Ezekiel, by Isaiah, by the prophets? Is this the moment the Messiah has come to vanquish the Romans, to vanquish our enemies, to lead us to victory? Is this it? But next thing you know, the very next thing that Jesus does is be led into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Where's he going? It's not a surprise that he decides to meet the devil, as you read on in Matthew. You understand what Jesus has come to do. It's no surprise that he goes off to meet the devil. It was intentional. Jesus didn't decide to take a quiet 40-day stroll in the wilderness and then one day Satan popped out from behind a bush and said, Surprise! And Jesus went, Wow, what are you doing here? I wasn't expecting that. No. Jesus intentionally went into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, to confront Satan, to do battle with the devil. And it shows us the kind of ministry that Jesus will have going forward. That he will confront the devil. He will confront sin. And he will use the word of God to defeat them. Satan tempts Jesus to doubt God's word. As he tempts you and me. He tempts us to doubt, God, to doubt God's word. To doubt God's goodness is what Satan is all about. So we're reminded why Jesus is here, to do business with sin and the devil. That's why he's led into the wilderness. He will do it through obedience and by the word of God. So we read that Jesus has fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He's at his weakest when he confronts the devil. I know what you like when you're hungry and tired both at the same time, I struggle. I, um, I played tennis on Tuesday night this week and I was really tired. I started the day tired. When I'm tired, I lose my appetite, so I didn't have breakfast. I barely had lunch. I ran out of time for dinner. I ran off to tennis. Halfway th- after the third set, I had to lay down. I was just so wrecked because I was hungry. I hadn't eaten. I was exhausted. I played the last set and that was fine. Then I came home kind of forgot that I hadn't eaten, got ready and hopped into bed, exhausted, really needing to sleep. But within 15 minutes, I was just so hungry that I got back up out of bed. I couldn't handle hunger. I got out of bed again, went downstairs, zapped the dinner that Lara had lovingly cooked that I hadn't eaten yet. And uh, I think I sat on the couch. And uh, for half an hour, I watched a bit of Survivor or something. And uh, I had my dinner. I was so hungry because I hadn't eaten since lunchtime. I hadn't eaten for like... Nine hours. Here's Jesus. Forty days he fasted. And, it's, and he has, I assume he hasn't slept properly either. He's wandering in the wilderness. And it's at this moment that the devil strikes. And I think this is an interesting point. And I don't want to make too much of it. I don't want to say that that's always when the devil strikes, when you're your hungriest and your tiredest and boom, that's when he strikes. But it's interesting that this is when he chooses to strike or this is when... The confrontation happens when Jesus is weak. Jesus is truly human. He's truly hungry. He's truly tired. 
And this is when he's confronted by the devil. Satan often waits till we're at our lowest. Have you noticed how you're more likely to do dumb stuff when you're tired and hungry than when you, you're not? Have you noticed that? Do you feel that? Like you're more tempted to do dumb stuff then? Yeah, little nods. Um, I certainly am. I wonder if you've heard of the HALT method. Anyone heard this before? If you're hungry or angry or lonely or tired, just don't make any big decisions and try to get into any serious conversations with people because you'll do dumb stuff. Halt, stop. Just check yourself before you do something silly. You're vulnerable and susceptible to temptation and sin when you're any or a few of these things. When are you most likely to exasperate your children or your spouse? It's when you're tired or you're angry. When are you most likely to make that online impulse buy that you really don't need? It's probably late at night when you're tired and you're not really thinking properly. Maybe you've had a couple of drinks. It's when we struggle to be kind and gracious. It's when we're most susceptible to sin is when we're tired, hungry, lonely. Ask yourself, do I need to be so tired? That's a good question for people in Sydney in 2020. Do I need to be this tired? Now, some of you are young parents. You really don't have a say in the matter. And I get it. Young parents, you can almost just switch off at this moment. (laughs) You really don't have a say in the matter. And those who are about to be young parents, it's it's great. It's fine. You'll be fine. (laughs) We'll help you. We'll love you. But if you've got a choice, if you're stuffing your life so crammed full that you're always tired, cut something out. What can you cut out so you're not so tired, so you're getting enough rest, so you're getting enough recuperation, exercise, so you're getting those things? Do you need to be so, do you really need to be as busy as you are? Can I cut back? Can you cut back and simplify your life for the sake of godliness, so that you're not tired, so you're not tempted to do dumb stuff? Is it worth giving the devil a wounded target to attack? Just some thoughts. So here's Jesus. He's hungry. He's tired. He is a wounded target. And he confronts Satan in the desert. It's now that Satan attacks, and this is no surprise to Jesus. Satan confronts Jesus three times, and we're going to look at the temptations one at a time. So the first temptation, look at verse 3 in your Bible. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Tell these stones to become bread. No. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on God's word. Well, the devil didn't say you can't have both, did he? Is Jesus saying we can't have bread at all? We only have to live on God's word, no bread allowed? Is that what he's saying? The more you think about this passage, kind of the more confusing it gets, I think. Because later on, he feeds thousands of people with fish and bread. He calls himself the bread of life. He doesn't think bread's bad. So, (laughs) what's going on? He's hungry too. He should eat something. Some bread's not a bad idea at this point in time. Why is he not keen to make himself some bread? And why is Satan that The tempter suggesting that he does. It seems like such a trivial thing. What's the actual question the devil's asking? 
And why does Jesus quote Deuteronomy 8.3 in response? Well, let's work all that out. Firstly, Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, he knows he's the Son of God. He doesn't doubt that he's the Son of God. That's like asking a policeman, show me your badge, prove you're a policeman. He's saying, since you are the Son of God, do something that shows me. Because you're the Son of God, do something that defines your role, your identity as the Son of God. Show me you're the Son of God in this way. Be the Son of God in this kind of way that I, Satan, am suggesting. You're hungry? Provide for yourself. Miraculously, you can do that. You're the Son of God. Now, it's definitely not Satan's concern for Jesus' welfare. He's not like, oh, mate, look at you. You're all skin and bone. Make yourself some food before you starve to death. You look terrible. I can't imagine Satan's got a bushy Aussie accent, but he does today. Was that bushy? It was a bit more cockney, wasn't it? That was terrible. <clears throat> it's not out of concern. It's done out of malice. Jesus, do something that defines you as the Son of God. Serve yourself. For Jesus, this isn't about bread. It's about trust. It's not about bread. It's about trust. Question, genuine question, where are Jesus and the devil standing right now? Where are they? In the wilderness. And how many days was Jesus in the wilderness? Does this ring any Old Testament bells for you? Israel's in the desert 40 years, right. Israel wandered in the desert 40 years. Here's Jesus in the desert 40 days. Matthew shows us time and time again. You'll see it in your growth groups. You'll unpack it more. Um, if you're on a growth group, get in a growth group. They're awesome. Jesus is a new Israel. Jesus succeeds in the way that Israel failed. Moses led Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. And on the way, God promised land. He promised to take them to the promised land. He promised he'd look after them. He promised to get them there. But they grumbled. They didn't have as much food as they wanted. God gave them manna. It wasn't good enough. God gave them quail. Still not good enough. They thought they were better off back in slavery in Egypt, they said. No trust in God to look after them for the Israelites. Check out Numbers 14 later on if you want to read more. So God confused Israel. They ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years until that grumbly, whiny generation died out and he had a bit of a clean slate to work with. At the end of the 40 years, God brings Israel back to the edge of the promised land and the law is given to them so they know how to live in the land as they enter in. And it's written down in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is what Jesus quoted. Moses said this, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's not about bread. It's about trust. Now, notice that Jesus tested them. He didn't tempt them. When God tests us, it's because he wants us to trust in him. He wants to strengthen our trust in him. He tests us for our good. When Satan tempts us, he wants us to turn away from God. 
He wants us to disbelieve in God. Very big difference. It's all about obedience, isn't it? It's about trusting the words that come from the mouth of the Lord. You will always obey someone if they tell you to do something you're convinced is good for you. Someone tells you to do something you're convinced is good for you, you'll obey it. Or if someone tells you to do something and you're not sure but you trust them, you'll obey it. God only and ever tells us to do what is good for us. If you're convinced that God is good and trustworthy, you'll do what he says. The Israelites weren't convinced. In fact, they grabbed extra manna because they just weren't sure that God was going to provide more in the morning. And in the morning they found their manna was full of maggots because they hadn't trusted God. It's not about bread. It's not about material things or holidays or better-looking bodies or even marshmallows. It's about trust. After 40 years, the question was... Will we trust the Lord to give us what he promised? Will we, Gregory Hill's Anglican Church, glorify God in the Camden Valley by trusting God at his word? That he will give us all good things that he's promised. It's putting all this together. With the devil asking Jesus to define his identity as the son of man, we see that for the son of man to use his power to turn the stone into bread for his own hunger is not trusting God. It's taking matters into his own hands. It's instant gratification. It's like the Israelites in the wilderness. I'm hungry, give me food now. I don't want to wait till you're ready to give me food. I want food now. So I'm going to grab, grab at it. Not when you think is best, God, when I think is best. That's when I want something done. Whinge, whinge, grumble, grumble. Now, The Israelite, or the Christian, who takes matters into their own hands, who grabs at the manna or the marshmallow or the thing, denies his or her identity as a precious child and servant of God. It's denying our own identity. We are called to trust God at his word no matter what. And when we don't trust his word, we deny our own identity. We deny our very identity as his precious children. And we deny him as our loving father. But this isn't what happens for Jesus. Jesus trusts his Father at his word. Temptation number two. In the next temptation, the devil's banking on Jesus misusing the Bible. The devil quotes the Bible at Jesus and encourages him to misuse it. He no doubt unintentionally draws out this theme of trust. Um, Look at verse five in your Bible. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, since you're the son of God, (coughs) he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike your foot against a stone, Jesus answered him. It's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And this is verses 1 and 2 not verses 11 and 12, sorry about the bottom bit. This is verses 1 and 2 of that same psalm. It says this, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Satan says, since you're the Son of God, since you're so important, just jump. God will protect you. 
It's God's word there in Psalm 91. He has to do it. So just trust his word and jump. It's a bit like a sermon where the preacher just grabs one or two verses and then kind of spins off saying whatever he wants to say, whatever is on his heart, rather than actually teaching the Bible. Satan gets it drastically wrong, and Jesus is quick to point out that fact. He quotes the Bible back again at the devil, Deuteronomy 6. It's also written, Deuteronomy 6.16. It's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Scripture helps us understand Scripture. The more we read the Bible, the more we'll understand the Bible because the Bible interprets the Bible. You see? The Israelites failed to trust that God would deliver them from slavery and to the promised land. They rejected God's agenda and decided to set their own agenda and that's what Satan's demanding of Jesus. Set your own agenda. Don't trust God's agenda. But Jesus, unlike Israel, remains obedient. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He doesn't test his father by jumping off. He trusts. Third temptation. Now this time there's no beating around the bush for the devil. He asked Jesus directly to switch allegiance from his heavenly father to him. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to Jesus. You don't have to be the suffering servant, Jesus. You don't have to go to the cross. There's an easier way to glory. Just bow down and worship me and I will give you all authority in the kingdoms of the world. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, right, as if he's even going to consider that. He's Jesus, and I'd agree. But these are not empty words in the ears of Jesus. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus wept, where Jesus was in anguish at the concept of facing the Father's wrath on the cross. We can be mistaken in thinking that it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross because he's Jesus, he's truly God. We forget he's also truly man, truly human. This is a truly tempting offer to a human being that Satan's making because it avoids the cross. It avoids the torture and the pain and the anguish and most of all, it avoids the greatest hardship facing the wrath of his father who he loves on our behalf. It's a tempting offer. We can think of the temptation of Jesus like the Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. You've seen the Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. The Coyote always tries to trap the Roadrunner, but you know he's never going to do it. You just think the Coyote's a bit of a goose, really. He's a bit of a fool. You're never going to get him. But it's not like that. Jesus is genuinely hungry, genuinely tired, truly human. He feels deep anguish at the thought of going to the cross. This is a real temptation for our Lord in the desert. So don't think, he's never going to get Jesus. This is real. This is hard for Jesus. But though he's tired, 
And though he's hungry, and though he's genuinely tempted, as we are, he was without sin. Hebrews 4.15, I thought I had it on the screen, but I don't. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathise with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. In all the different kinds of ways that human beings are tempted, so was Jesus tempted. Yet he did not sin, not once. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. He commands Satan to leave him for he serves the God of heaven alone. Satan obeys and heads off on his way. So the battle between Jesus and the devil ends for now. The Son of God remained faithful. Praise God, for without a crucified, sinless Jesus, we sinners are without hope. We need Jesus, the sinless one, to be crucified on our behalf for forgiveness of our sins. So how do we apply these things? I'll put them up in a minute. Sorry. The question remains, how do we go on trusting God when we're under duress? How do you trust God when you're under duress, when the grass does look greener on the other side, when the marshmallow looks so great right now that you just can't wait for what God's got promised for you in the future? How often do we ignore the promise of something better in the face of instant gratification now? And the answer is to follow in the footsteps of the Lord, but knowing that he has won the victory on your behalf already. These two things go hand in hand. Like our Lord Jesus, we must draw on God's word in our time of need. So we need to know God's word. So we're ready to draw on God's word in our time of need. Like our Lord Jesus, we must pray to our Father in heaven, asking that he lead us not into temptation, but if we are tempted, that we do not give in to evil, that we resist the evil one and he deliver us. Unlike Jesus, we will fail from time to time. We will give in to temptation. We will sin. Praise God for Jesus. He died to pay the price for your sins. You have forgiveness of sins through faith in him. Praise God. That is good news. That should strengthen us for the day of temptation, not make us complacent. It's a win-win, really, for Christians. Jesus has won where we fail. If we fail, Jesus has won. But what a joy it is not to fail. What a joy it is to resist temptation. What a joy it is to know God's word. What a joy it is to be ready for the day of temptation so we might resist the devil and know that we've resisted the devil through trust in his word that he will deliver on his promises to us. What a joy it is for us, his children, to please Jesus in every way we can. What a joy it is as his children to know when we fail, we're not kicked out, we're still loved. We're forgiven already before the sin is even committed. I want to give you a couple of minutes now to kind of digest this for yourself and help you think this through yourself. I think it would be helpful to chat in small groups. I'm going to put two questions on the screen. 
I could be helpful to chat in small groups, but I don't want to, you know, if you, don't, if you just want to be on your own and think on your own, that's cool too. Or a couple, if you want to think as a couple, two people, whatever works. But I'll tell you why it'd be helpful to be talking with someone else if you feel comfortable to do that. Um, the first question is, what makes you feel more prone to give in to temptation? Do you feel more susceptible, more weak when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're hangry, when you're lonely? I think it'd be helpful to share that so we kind of got the mutual encouragement. It's not just me that gets tired and angry and it's someone else too, if you're comfortable. And secondly, ask each other how and when you read God's word. And I'll tell you why. So that you're encouraged if you're not reading your Bible very well. The person opposite you will probably say, I don't read my Bible very much. I wish I read it more. And you'll be like, oh, good, it's not just me. Let's encourage one another um, with ways that have worked in the past to read God's word so that we're ready on the day of temptation. We can trust in God's word. We have God's word. We can use God's word to diffuse that temptation. So as you feel comfortable, gather or on your own, have a think for two minutes about these two questions and then Dean will lead us in prayer. Go, two minutes. I hope that's been a long two minutes, um, fruitful. Um, uh, As Gav said, um, throughout his sermon, we... Uh, can take great example from our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And um, in doing that, we're going to pray um, now as well, and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Um, taking particular note, um, Jesus asking um, for help in temptation and getting delivered from evil. So uh, we're going to say this together now, so please join me with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Let's continue. Lord God, thank you for the teaching of your word today that we have heard through Gavin. Lord, help us to be continually soaking ourselves in the word of God so that we are prepared to rebuff Satan's advances when we are tempted. Lord God, we thank you for the children's ministry of Gregory Hills Anglican. You have blessed us with a great many children, all eager to learn more about our Lord and Saviour. Lord, we pray that the children of this church will grow in themselves a deep love for Jesus and a desire to read the Bible. We thank you for the many leaders involved in children's ministry and for Kate coming on staff recently. May you give them the wisdom and energy needed in planning and organising, along with teaching the children. We know that there are many people in our community who are struggling and without a home. May you protect and uphold these people who are amongst the most vulnerable in our society. Whatever struggles or challenges they are facing, may they turn to you for their comfort and strength. May we as a church be compassionate to the homeless in our community, being generous with what you have blessed us with, that we in turn may be a blessing to others to bring you glory. Finally, Lord, we bring before you the work of compassion. We thank you for the countless lives who have been impacted by the ministry and support of compassion. May you bless their ministry, that they will be well-funded and supported in order that they may continue to help those in the world who are in dire need. Lord, we pray that as a church, we may continue to be prayerful, 
of the sponsored children that we have, and if situations allow, to become a blessing to further children in desperate need. We bring all these things before you in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.